So it's something bigger than this is just your job and yeah. this is your payment. It's this is this customer's wedding day or this is this customer's 50th birthday or this is this big corporate event to celebrate this big achievement. Yeah. And you're a key part of that. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Founder Stories. So excited for today. I've got an amazing guest and friend, Mr. Harvey Sahota. He's also the managing director of Mahias, which is one of the UK's leading catering companies. I'm sure you might have a, a different description of that and what you really <laughs> do in business, but we'll get into that in a minute. So sure. today we're going to be digging into Harvey's story, how he got started as an entrepreneur, running one of, like I said, it's for me, I mean, I eat the food myself. It's absolutely delicious. I won't go anywhere else. If we have to have Indian food and we've got, you know, more than a certain amount of guests, then we always go to Mahir's. We've been working together for a while now, um, yeah. but we never really sat down to chat like this. So I'm super excited to hear more about your journey yeah. and actually what your goals are moving forward. We spoke about that a little bit in the kitchen when we had some coffee and got some caffeine. Um, but I know, guys, there'll be so much gold in today's episode. I'm not sure exactly where we'll go. I think we'll probably veer off course a little bit because there's so much that we can talk about. I'll try and keep us on track as much as possible. But what I do know for sure is that you guys as viewers or listeners will get practical advice as well as inspiration to go back and you know take back to your business. And that's what Founder Stories is, is all about, being able to take things from this, go back, implement them and grow your own businesses. So that being said, let's get started. Uh, tell me who you are for the listeners that aren't familiar with you and what does Mahirs do? And then we'll go from there. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Simon. Uh, yeah. As you said, um, Harvey Sohota, Managing Director of uh, Mahirs Experience. Uh, we're a catering and event management company that specializes in authentic uh, Punjabi cuisine. Uh, primarily, we cover weddings and other private uh, uh, occasions. Um, we work nationwide. Um, most of the events that we do are in um, stately homes, um, English heritage venues, sporting stadia, uh, banqueting suites and hotels. Um, and yeah, we specialize in, like I said, authentic Punjabi cuisine. So, And you're a Liverpool fan, right? So is your, <laughs> is your ultimate dream to cater for Liverpool Football Club? Um, well, I've, I've never really mixed business and pleasure together, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, for, my, uh, for my sins, especially after the season that we're having, uh, I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, always have been since uh, since the heydays. And we've had some pretty good good days recently. But and what's yeah. the food? What's the food like? More importantly, at Liverpool, do they have Indian food there? <laughs> um, in their in their sweets, the food is uh, at best average. I'll be completely honest with okay, you. Please. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Yeah, at Villa, yeah. and I'm a Villa fan. For those of you, I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast yet. We recently got a local caterer that's come in and started doing almost a. An improved version of KFC, not Indian, but fried chicken, but it's so good. Brilliant. And it just sells out. It literally sells out within three minutes of halftime. So they've obviously got their, you know, processes. We can get into that. Yeah. The process is wrong. Anyway, we, this is where we start veering off course from sure. the questions that I shared with you. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what happened when you were a kid. You know, Mahir's is a family business, right? How long has it been running? 
Yeah, so I actually founded the company in 2005. Okay. Uh, it was on the back of another family business, uh, Quality Suite Center. Uh, okay. It was a an Indian delicatessen uh, based on the famous Sir Road in Hansworth in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and uh, I sort of came into the family business. It started off as a, a bit of a weekend, weekend part-time job. Um, but I, it, I quickly realized that you know, we started gathering a bit of a cult following. Yeah. Um, the quality of the cuisine um, was, you know, um, renowned and getting renowned. And people started asking for kind of their events to be catered for. Um, so that was just a natural progression that it was a retail, a retail store, but people were asking, hey, the food's really great. Could you come and do this event? Is that kind of what yeah, out? very, very, very organic. Uh, yeah. We we grew very organically. Um, I think it was kind of the start of uh, the the kind of the big fat Asian wedding uh, events yeah. that, that that we have now. Yeah. So it was the start where people started engaging in um, having a lot of different suppliers, having good yeah. suppliers at their events, and going for kind of quality events and big lavish weddings. Yeah. So I think we we, we probably came into the market, you know, at the right time. Um, but yeah, so yeah, how old were you at that point when you started working in that shop, helping out your parents, presumably? Or mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, originally, and it's right. Initially it was about 13 years old when I came into the business on a weekend yeah. part, part time basis. Um, but I was drafted in after graduating from university. Okay. Uh, started helping the family business, uh, a lot more than I, more than a part time basis. Yeah. What did you do at university? Um, I did business information systems, so it's a combination okay. of business and computer science. And why did you not go into a job? Presumably, I don't know, but for me, so my dad was an entrepreneur. He had a big leather goods company in, in the Midlands and for a variety of family reasons, shut that down and just started up being a photographer, but always worked for himself. Yeah. But his goal for me was the opposite. He pushed me into you know, getting a stable nine to five job. Were your parents encouraging you to come and work in the business or were they saying, go and use your degree and, and get a normal job? I'm going to be really frank with you. Um, everyone has a story, right? Um, we actually had a good business, but unfortunately, some of the family members that were in the business, um, they ran up kind of a lot of, uh, you know, uh, debts, personal debts. Yeah. Um, and it was almost kind of, I drafted in to try and help the family business. Um, the one thing that we were good at was obviously providing, you know, really delicious cuisine mm. and smashing events out of the park. Yeah. Um, but what was being, um, kind of you know, on the side, the family burden and the debts that, that some of the founders, the orig original founders had, had sort of brought upon us. Um, you know, we had to kind of manage that. Yeah. So I came into the business to be fair more of it as a, as a need to stabilize the business. As and a necessity to keep it from failing. Yep. Yeah. 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 And uh, to be fair, um, it was only supposed to be kind of a, a temporary thing. Yeah. Um, but I came in and, and I just never left, you know, so it's just, uh, you enjoyed that entrepreneur life. Yeah. You could say that obviously, it, you know, we had, we had challenges, uh, as, as do, you know, most businesses. Um, but I think some of the, challenges we had were kind of, you know, made by ourselves, so to speak. So, um, but yeah, um, we enjoyed what we we're doing. Um, you know, loved, loved the fact that the product was quite sought after, mm. um, the fulfillment you get when you put a smile on people's faces in terms yeah. of, you know, um, undertaking their events and, you know, getting rave reviews. 
um, creating raving fans. You know, I yeah. thought it was, it was yeah. brilliant. Well, that's quite a good link to Tony Robbins, actually. And we, when we first met and sat down, yeah, when I came to see you about potentially bringing Grow Factor on as your accountancy firm, yeah, we had a commonality in that we'd both been to Tony Robbins events. Hundred percent. I think um, I'd like to think that uh, I sought you out. Really, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, when I, um, well, just going back and reflecting, reflecting on this, I think. It was at the Belfry in St. Caulfield as a networking event. Yeah, that's right. You met who was our business development manager at that time, who's also my auntie. Yeah, Debbie. Yeah, <laughs> and she said, you guys have got to meet, I think, at that time as well. Or maybe I was there as well. I think we you said, were... I think we, you said, were we, said, we said hi. We, we said hi, yeah, really yeah. conversation. Yeah, I think um, I just come off the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses course. That's right, which you have to apply for and qualify for. Which Crazy, in itself yeah. is a really great nod to the success of of Mahir's versus what it was yeah yeah I I think I take obviously kind of the qualifications and the learning um you know uh very seriously and um after the course it became apparent that I was looking for more of a modern style accounting uh accountant accountancy company yeah um I think back then those platforms of QuickBooks and Xero had just kind of started out and from the course I learned that obviously knowing your numbers and having real-time figures was very important so I was lo- actually looking for an accountancy firm that had grips with QuickBooks and Zero. Yeah. Um, and then I think at the networking um, event, Debbie yourself, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you know that you got specialised in. Yeah, and it's not just like you can pick a good accountant. There are other good accountants other than Growth Factor, but I think it's important as a business owner you pick an accountant that you can build a relationship with that actually really cares about your business, is invested in your business. Yeah, I totally agree on a personal level, you know, and even if they're not, I don't do any of the delivery for your work, my team does, but I know that they also care. But on the Tony Robbins thing, actually there's a couple of things there. One bit of advice I think then for, for, for listeners or viewers is always be developing yourself. You did a business degree and that could have been that, but you actually then went and did, which Tony Robbins events have you done? So I did the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, which is yeah. not the Tony Robbins thing, but then the UPW, a couple of those UPW events. Yeah. A um, couple of, few more, I, I sent a couple of my staff members to it, my, my key and guys. And power within, yeah. And the power within, yeah. And all of those things. That's it, yeah. Um, I also went on to Business Mastery. Yeah. Um, which is a full-time five-day event just on mastering those seven, he talks about seven forces of business, right? One of which is financial and legal, yeah. but then he goes through, I don't know what the other seven <laughs> are, actually. You're going to be testing me now, but... Marketing, yeah, sales, sales yeah. But you mentioned creating raving fans. That's totally yeah. sort of terminology about if you focus on your customers, yeah. which is what you've said you did originally, and I guess what your parents did, just focus on the product. Yeah, I think sure in, in, right. in the early days, and um, it's probably focusing on the clients so much that some of the products that we used to sell to clients were actually probably costing us, um, you know, more than what we were charging them for. Right. So, okay. you know, but obviously yeah. I came into the business and started saying, well, actually, look, this is all great, but yeah. you know, it's great that we want to give people the best service, the yeah. best food. Um, but we've got to look at our numbers, right? Because obviously we're not making any money or we're losing money yeah. or, you know, we, we, we're kind of all over the place and, um, had to make, uh, you know, um, how kind of significant other, should we say, realise that if you want to be around, continue to do this for the long term, Yeah, uh, we've got to get grips with our numbers. And then that comes out of, if you've got online accounting, if you've got real-time information, you can look at your margins, right? Yep. And then you can understand, okay, well, either we have to drive the cost of goods down 
or we have to reprice. Yes. So was it a conscious decision for you to position? Because I see Mahirs and the people that I speak to see Mahirs as it's a premium service. Yeah. It's known as, I know you're a nationwide company, but if we look at the Midlands or the middle of England as an area, Mahirs is known as if you have the budget and you want the best of the best, then you go to Mahirs. Was that a conscious decision to position your brand up there and, and remove yourself from competing with every other caterer? 100%, 100%. And that was actually, you know, credit to, you know, my father and my uncle. Uh, it was always about the quality. Yeah. Um, you know, the quality of the food, the right down from the ingredients that we use, the staff that we, you know, were hired to deliver. And your parents um, do cooking, right? I remember when we yeah, first yeah. started working together and you gave me a tour. Still and your mum, I think, was around this massive pot, like, <laughs> twice the size of me, doing the actual stirring. Like, I'm not making this up. They're actually in the business. Mate, you can come down today and it's uh, it's still the same. The yeah. You know, I mean, nothing beats mum's cooking, right? Yeah. You know, so as, as, as the old adage goes. But look, I think um, it's very, very important because obviously we've got generations of um, you know, uh, family members who have got great experience. They're, they're passing down their artisan skills now. Yeah. So we have got chefs now from around the world uh, from all backgrounds. And, um, you know, it's the parents are still there as part of the business, but more about quality control, uh, giving their kind of experience, knowledge, artisan skills, yeah. passing it down. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, there is... There is wheels in motion for us to actually create our own kind of culinary catering academy going okay, forward wow. yeah. to try and um, you know process that uh, a lot more. So and pass down the knowledge, pass down the knowledge from yeah, one yeah. generation to another. Yeah. So just getting back on track, yeah. in terms of those first few years when you came in, yeah, what were the first things that you did to that business to transition it from a family business that's a, a retail business into Mahirs? Obviously, you you must have thought about branding. Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. Sales, these things. If you remember, like what was, <laughs> how did you even go about that? Did you sit down and write a business plan? Did you use some of the stuff you learned at Goldman's or on Business Mastery? Like what were the simplified kind of first steps that you took? Yeah. So coming out of university and uh, going on to some of these courses, in, in, you know, later on, I think it was bringing it back down to basics and trying to structure things. I think the first thing was, was, um, getting i know it sounds really basic but we're getting a pc a computer at that time and um putting systemizing kind of you know the processes so most of it was sort of paper it's all paper based and okay. um there's a lot of repetition you know yeah. things have been you know written down on you know on pieces of paper and quotes have been done on the back of a you know on a, on a fact packet check for example your sales conversion because, well, I mean, you could, but it probably wasn't being checked because you've got a number of quotes going out on paper. Yeah. The ones that get accepted go into the accepted pile, but there's no one tracking. Okay. Well, we send 10 quotes to get three sales. Yeah. And then now how do we improve that? None of that stuff was getting tracked. None of that stuff was getting done or tracked. And obviously then there's version control issues. Obviously when the orders are confirmed, they need to go into different areas, whether yeah. it's in the kitchens to be produced and obviously when there's changes. So yeah, I mean, it, it sounds pretty basic now because obviously everything is kind of CRM and, mm. you know, all process driven. But yeah, in, in the early days, it was just trying to bring IT infrastructure into, into our family business and saying, look, there's easier ways of doing these things. And you had that background from university, right? So yeah. Yeah. Mark, what's really interesting to me though, is 
if you sat down at the start, you probably would have been able to brain dump. So brain dumping is just getting a pen, getting a piece yeah. of paper and writing down everything you needed to do. You could, you could have probably kept writing for two days. <laughs> How do you take those actions into, which is something I think about all the time. How do you work on the right things first in the right order for the right amount of time? Cause you don't need to get everything perfect. Like, so how do you, I'm not asking this very well, but how do you structure your time in those, in those first yeah. few years? And how do you make sure that when you're working on the business, you're doing the right things? Again, I'm going to be really frank and honest with you. In, in, in the first few years, I think we were a little bit, you know, all over the place. And it was, so you, yeah. it, was okay. it was definitely firefighting. Hustling as well. Just doing yeah, yeah. We you were, know. you know, obviously the team was small. The premises were small. Um, and you know, one minute you're jumping from facing customers and doing sales, then going to venues, having meetings, and then you know, loading vans on the weekend, uh, washing pots in, in the kitchens. And to be fair, I think looking back at it now, would I have done things differently? Yes and no. I think um, it seemed like at the no, well, looking back now, it's like I had an apprenticeship in my own business. You yeah. know, I, I did everything from sales and marketing and 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 production, going to events, managing events, yep. uh, pitching, going to presentations, networking. Yeah. Um, but it's put me in good stead now because obviously when you're now CEO and, and you're looking after the business and you've got people working for you, you sort of can relate to all the... And you know how it should be done. Yeah. You can hire the right people to come in and say, well, actually, even the way you're doing it can be improved. Yeah, you know, yeah, 100%. Kind of like the secret, is a secret billionaire or secret millionaire where they go into yeah. businesses and do everything. So and would you advise anyone that's starting their business or maybe someone's got um, a van at the moment? I know there's a guy in the Midlands that, that makes pizzas. He takes yeah. his van and he goes and makes pizzas and goes up outside gyms and you've got these pop-up restaurants and things like that. So if someone's listening to this and they've got a small restaurant, but they actually want to start taking the steps to to move on the journey that you've been on, which is to get to having a nationwide catering company with various different revenue streams that we'll talk about, would you advise them that it's fine at the start to do everything and to hustle and to wake up and just write down the most important things that come to your mind and just get on with them rather than spending all, all your time? Yeah, 100%. I think so. I think uh, definitely it's, it's good to know all the nooks and crannies of your business and, yeah. and obviously experience it for yourself. I, I think there's only so much you can... You can learn from uh, other businesses, read, um, obviously be taught on business courses. Yeah. I think you've got to live and breathe it. Yeah. Um, and to do that is to, and, and it's a good um, analogy that you made to that secret millionaire. Yeah. Um, there were times when, you know, I'm, I'm out there serving tables and nobody knew that. Obviously yeah, that's funny. So and, if they've got an issue, they're yeah. going to be telling you, they're not, they don't really know they're telling the CEO of the company. No, no. I mean, to be fair, we did do, did, we did do an event where, we actually reverse roles. So we had all the management team waiting on tables. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I still probably got the clip and the video and, 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 um, of this event. I actually wore a GoPro camera yeah. on, uh, on my waiter's uniform yeah. and I was serving tables um, and list, getting feedback and listening to Getting it. their reaction. Yeah, it was a, a charity function. Yeah. Uh, and we did unveil afterwards. We yeah. were on stage and unveiled actually you were, Today, your service team was actually the CEO, yeah. the FD, you know, head of marketing, head of, marketing, head of sales. Yeah. Um, and it was actually the service staff that were in the kitchens plating up the food. Yeah. So we had a role reversal. So 
I think it was great. It was great for team building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great for you know getting real customer feedback and understanding kind of where there could be issues. Yeah. In, in, in your company, so um, yeah, hundred percent. I think. Yeah, because that. I mean, that's fast forwarding a bit, but like my role is to create content, have these conversations. Yeah. Do business planning, which I guess is very similar to your role now, but also to make sure that the clients are happy. And the only way you can really do that is to talk to them. Yeah, I think even now, um, like I'm going to an event on Saturday. Um, I don't need to be there. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I'm spending time in the morning with the family. I'm popping into an event for a couple of hours. It's at the Coventry Hilton, Hilton Coventry. Yeah. Uh, the next day, I got my me time where I'm, you know, going to Anfield to watch the game yeah. against Tottenham. But I think it's it's nice to kind of duck, you know, d- uh, duck and dive into different aspects uh, mm. of, of 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 business and you know on a, on a weekly basis just to to get an understanding of what's still working, what still needs you want know, anything that needs to be yeah. changed. And it's it's great for morale as well for you know for 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 staff to see that you know we're still ready to roll up our sleeves and um, you know get and you care about the customers, but also you care about your team. Yeah, hand in hand, um, both. Um, you know, Europe. We're only as good as our, our mantra is. We're only as good as our last job. Yeah. Um, but 100 from a team point of view, we wouldn't be where we are without the people. Obviously, it's the service mm. business. Is we're in hospitality. Yeah. Um, and you can do all the planning and have all the right paperwork and systems in place, but yeah, you need the people to deliver that. So. Yeah, right down from your marketing director to the person that's putting the plate on the table with a smile on their face versus just chucking it down and not caring, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's what about creating a culture, really, rather than giving them, micromanaging them. So how do you manage the culture at Mahir's now? Um, it, it's still very much a family business feel. Um, yeah. We operate kind of more like an open door policy. Um, it's kind of flat hierarchy. It's not too kind of, you know, structured in terms of kind of, this person reports to that person. Yeah, because in your office, everyone sort of sits in together, don't they? Yeah, yeah. We have shared offices, but we, we have separate rooms. If somebody wants a bit of quiet time, if, yeah. they, if they need to do a Teams or Zoom call, um, or if they just want a kind of a break, you know. Obviously, with the advent of um, all these working at home tools like Zoom and, and, and mm. Teams, yeah. you know, if people want to work uh, remotely, they can do that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, in terms of we harvest a culture that obviously – you know, we're all prepared to, to to work in different areas of the business. Mm. You know, um, and just keep things very customer centric, very customer focused. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, yeah, doors always open. Um, very kind of casual, um, and not uh, too kind of you know rigid. To be said, how do you make sure if you're bringing someone in for a big event and they're only maybe going to work with you for that event? Yeah. How do you make sure that they are, you know, a Mahir's person and they behave in the way that you want them to? So we, we would draft them in beforehand, um, you know, get them in, to ha- have a meeting with them. We mm. obviously will run through the spec, yeah. drum down how important this client is, yeah. why we need to do it in a particular way. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I use the analogy, you know, some of these guys are obviously in the kitchens or up front. They're very experienced in their own rights. They could be... Mm you know, top chefs for, for, you know, big establishments and restaurants yep. uh, or they've done some of the biggest events. Um, we used to get this whole thing about like, you don't need to really, you know, tell me this. I've been doing this for so long. I know what yep. I'm doing. So then I use the analogy to say, look, you could be, again, going back to football, <laughs> you could be Mo Salah, 
Yeah. And you could be spanging in 30, 40 goals or like you got Haaland this year who scored, I think, nearly 50 odd goals. Yeah, crazy. But the thing is, he knows how to do his job. Yeah. But a manager still has to give a pep talk, a team yeah. talk. So we just use the analogy to say, look, you might and be- And you can still get better, right? 100%, you know. Um, but we prep, uh, you know, our, our people beforehand before they go to an event. Yeah. No event is ever the same. Uh, we have specification sheets and stuff. So it's running through the event, make sure they get it, make sure there's so many ways you can deliver food and yeah. deliver service. We want to make sure it's done the way that- So you talk to them, but you also have, I remember reading a book called The Checklist Manifesto, which speaks about if you want something done in a consistent way, you need to have yeah. a written checklist. Yeah. And then- you're speaking to them, which do you remember at Tony Robbins at Business Mastery in the mornings they'd, and if you'd go in early and everyone had run to get the best seat, <laughs> the team, you'd hear them in the background screaming, screaming and screaming together, yeah. chanting. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all stood around together. The, the lead manager was speaking to them and they were all getting on the same level of energy. Yeah. What do we expect today? You know, working together as a team. Do you think any of that experience with your Tony Robbins stuff rubbed off on the way that you lead your team now? Oh yeah, 100%. I think um, engaging with uh, our people, um, bribing them with, with our food yeah. and um, obviously, you know, explaining, you know, how important the event is, what we need to do. Uh, but, but ultimately, do it with a smile on your face, have fun. You know, we're delivering, we're in hospitality, we're delivering a service. We need to, to get the, the customer. Job. It's their joy that you're looking. So something bigger than this is just your job and this yeah. is your payment. It's this is this customer's wedding day or this is this customer's 50th birthday or this is this big corporate event to celebrate this big achievement. Yeah. And you're a key part of that because food is, you know, they speak about, you know, we're going to get some food after this. Breaking bread together yeah. is something that people have been doing since people were people yeah. and socializing and you're, you know, potentially ruining that experience if the food is not good because people are just going to talk about the food is not good. If the food is great, the drinks are coming, you know, everyone's having a good time. You're facilitating that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we kind of ne- know that we're going to nail the food. Yeah. It's, it's a service that has to, I mean, there's no point having great food and drink if the service isn't great. Yeah. Um, so just going back to the people side of things, it is making sure that we, you know, cascade the message that, you know, it needs to be done in a particular way. Yeah. Um, but again, be yourself, have fun, introduce yourself. Um, we have got a training suite at Mahir's as okay. well. So before, you know, so oh, we, I remember that we came and we sat down in there. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So we've people got like can a, come and taste food if they're interested in using Mahir's and they actually want to know, okay, well, what would we want for our event? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like a pop-up restaurant, um, yeah. you know, um, and we got the kind of idea from this Jamie Oliver program. I think it's J- Jamie's 10 or something. Where okay. So we've got this little restaurant um, and we, we test dishes in there. We do experience tastings in there. But equally uh, in midweek, um, the agency that we use for staffing, they're allowed to just come in and use it. They'll get fed, but also yeah. they'll learn how to lay tables up. So, okay. so we do our yeah. own little training sessions um, and they turn into kind of, kind of team building exercises. Yeah. So in any business, as you bring people on, it's really important to, first of all, have values for your brand that they understand, but then give them the tools to do their job properly, which is checklists and processes, but also practical application and feedback on what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I think that's tons of value on people for sure. Okay. So your routine in the first few years, I'd imagine (laughs) 
was just working, right? A lot, a lot of hours. Yeah. What changed when you got married and what changed when you had kids? How did you force yourself? I guess sometimes we have to have that time away from the business, not being on your phone, thinking about family. Yeah. So I think you're right. In the first few years, it was just work, work, work. Um, and I suppose it was a little bit easier to do that when you were kind of, um, you know, um, single or yeah. um, obviously at that point um, married, but there's only a couple of, but when the kids come as well, it, you know, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Um, kids is the one, right? That's the time consumption. It is. It is. So I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I think um, again, it, even when the kids came along, we were so kind of focused on getting the work done. Mm. Um, only when we reflect back now and to say like, you know, how did that transition happen? Um, I'm ashamed to me, to be fair. I think the penny dropped on, on a, one particular weekend. The girls were pretty young then, but old enough to realize that, you know, daddy just keeps going to work every, every day, every mm. weekend. And it's only when they were kind of a little bit old enough to, to, to question to say, you started, you know, you know, you're going in again mm. and they started crying. They started crying to say, please don't go. Yeah. And then to be fair, the penny, I, unfortunately on that day, I still had to go. I was driving in, you know, the penny dropped to say, well, actually, you know, what, why are we doing this? And, mm. you know, surely there's a better way of doing this, you know? Um, and then I made a conscious decision to try and structure the week, get into a routine, um, you know, delegate a lot more, yeah. um, bring people on yeah. in my position, you know, in, in some of the roles that I was doing at that point. Um, and actually it's okay to, to say no to customer requests, venue requests, yeah. you know, and actually just have them diarized and stuff like that, you know? So, um, and now it's a lot more even, should we say? Yeah. Work-life balance is a lot more even and I'm enjoying it a lot more as well, you know? So. And do you think if you have a bit more time away from the business, when you come back, you come back fresh with ideas and improvements and you're more in your zone of genius rather than just doing delivery all the time? Yeah. You're thinking about delegating, you're trusting people to do their job, but you're coming back as a leader with ideas on how you can innovate and develop the business? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think every single time I've taken time out of the business, whether it's going on uh, a holiday or, you know, just at home resting up or, yeah. you know, I've gone on a course or something, you know, you know, I've taken, you know, I've, I've read things, you know, or I've just reflected on things, made mm. notes, and you feel you go back in and you have a, you have a drive to obviously, change things or have conversations or do things that on a day-to-day -day basis, you may have just um, kind of, you know, missed. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's such a tough balance, isn't it? Because we do it to provide financial freedom. Okay. Yeah. Now we've achieved financial freedom. We both live in nice houses, in nice areas. The kids go to nice schools. Then it's about generational wealth. Okay. You want your kids to be able to choose what they do for a living. So you then, have to because I lost motivation at, at one point, and then my mentor said to me, Okay, well, you're earning enough for you, but you're kind of being selfish because wouldn't you like to earn enough money and have enough money invested that your kids literally had a six figure salary before they even graduated university? And they don't necessarily know that because you know, we're yeah, turning out yeah, being spoiled brats, but they have financial freedom, it's generational wealth. So if they say, Daddy, I really want to play football, but I'm um, going to have to play non-league football because 
uh, you know, I haven't been scouted and this, that and the other, but I love to play football and they're getting paid £100 a week. I can say, well, I want you to do what you love. You play football, you train hard and I'll pay for X, Y and Z while you do it. And then we can think about what to do after your career's over. You know, like that's what I'm trying to do now. But that balance between working all the time to provide that and having time with them, which you'll never get back, it is a difficult one that you constantly have to kind of reflect at the end of each week or end of each month. Have I got the balance right? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's um, family time is really important. Uh, equally so couple time as well, you know, with, uh, with, with, with your wife, you know, with your partner. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, that re- relationship and that dynamic, um, you know, um, also me time. Yeah. You know, having your own time, you know, there was a, there was a point that um, the only, you know, I realized the only me time I ever used to get was when you're, when you're in the bathroom, because that's the only place that people don't come and disturb you, <laughs> you know. Um, well, to be fair, you still get disturbed. By the kids, yeah. By the kids, yeah. Um, daddy, daddy, look at this. I know, yes. I know. But um, no, I think it's equally important that you've got your, your own time, uh, you know, uh, time with obviously, you know, your friends. Um, yeah, yes. which is, is, is really important. You've got Liverpool. Yeah. And that serves two purposes because I love football, you love football. Yeah. But also something that I neglected for 10 years, probably when I ran my business, maybe eight, well, actually probably 10 years. It was literally only last year that I wrote my goals out and I said, oh, I need to get some friends. <laughs> I know it's sad, isn't it? I literally said to myself, if I'm not working and I'm not with my family, I'm being selfish. Yeah. So I would have no friends, basically, apart from I'd go to the gym. I talk to my clients. I'd consider you a friend, yeah. but we don't socialize because up to, you know, maybe not even a year ago, if we went and played golf or we went for a meal, or we did something, I'd feel guilty that I'm not working or with my family. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you're totally right. You have to block time each week. Maybe if you're thinking about planning your week out, when this week am I spending time with my partner? Because if you have a relationship breakdown, or if you're constantly getting uh, negative feedback, let's just say, put it nicely, from your girlfriend, partner, wife, boyfriend, husband, whatever, that affects your state. Yeah. And you're not the same person at work. And, you know, you probably forget, but you enjoy that time with your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you enjoy that time with your kids, right? Yeah, and no, I think uh, you, you value it a lot more when, when, when you're at, you know, when, when it happens, 100%. I think. Uh, do you plan out, you know, the year? Because what I do now is I have this thing called a preloaded calendar, which I learned from a coaching program I was in. And at the start of the year, I'll look with Kieran and we'll say, right, these are the kids' holidays. So let's book a holiday roughly every three months because we work at Grow Factor and with clients in 90-day sprints, yeah. which is similar to, I'm sure, what you do at Mahir's. We could talk about that. So each 90 days, I pick three projects for the team and three projects for me. We try and get them done in 10 weeks. And then I've got two weeks off to sort of deload, kind of like weight yeah. training. Yeah. And then I try and get a holiday booked in and tie it in with the kids' school. Yeah, also, you know, you can't leave things to the last minute now because flights just get more no, expensive. No. So for this year, we know, okay, we've been to Paris in March. We're going to Portugal in May, June. We're going to uh, Canada in July, August. We'll go to Dubai in October. Like people can't necessarily yeah. afford to do all those things. But yeah. if you're listening and you're on a budget, then you can still block the time off and say, I'm going to go, you know, to an Airbnb in the yeah. UK or whatever, or just yeah. stay at home, but just don't yeah. work. Do you preload your year? And then what I do is look at the quarter 
Every quarter, Kieran and I will try and go away for an overnight stay. Yeah. Every month, we'll try and do like a day date. Yeah. And each week, I'll just try and... None of this actually happens right now, though. Yeah. This is the reality. But you need a plan, right? <laughs> in the, it says in my weekly planner, put a little bit of time where we just go to the gym and have a coffee together yeah. or go for a walk with a dog or whatever. Do you do it organically or do you plan like, like me? Because if I do plan, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it used to be organically, but now we've got a, everybody knows that on a Wednesday, for instance, yeah. that's, um, that's my day kind of away from the office. It, it's yeah. at home. Um, yeah. it's, my, it's my day off. Yeah. Um, and that's by design. It's the same day off for my, my wife on the same day because okay. she's, she's a teacher, but she works four out of five days. So classes part time. So, yeah. um, and that's a good day for us because obviously the kids go to school. We've got the day and, you know, we'll go out for, for brunch or, yeah. you know, breakfast or lunch and, um, you know, do the things that, uh, you know, that, that we, that, that, that on a normal day when, you know, the kids are around, you know, yeah, it's just household tasks or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, and going back onto, to, to kind of vacations and holidays, um, I do leave that up to, to Rav, yeah. uh, my wife. Um, so she plans, she plans it, but normally it is very similar. It's, it's, yeah. it's, in, the, it's in the holidays. Um, yeah, because if you've got kids and they're in school, you have to look at school holidays, right? And do you go away as a couple without the kids? Have you ever been away? Well, yeah, we we managed to, to do that a, you know, a couple of times last year. Okay. Um, nice. and, and, and that felt really, 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 really good. Um, to be fair, it was a bit strange because we hadn't, <laughs> gone, hadn't gone away without the kids for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's so the first time, but, but, it's like, what do you do? What do you do with all this all this time? Yeah, yeah. I know. So we just ended up, um, you know, food, drink, and relaxing. Yeah, a lot more drink that we would normally have than when the kids are around. Yeah, just, we found that actually as well. The first one we took, and it was more of a beach holiday, and we're like, well, there's nothing really to do than just sit, drink cocktails, and yeah, that's like it, read and, and relax and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think I think it's important to 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 to, to get away. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a two or three trips, you know, um, last year. But um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm always kind of saying, look, just book it in. If it's not booked in, yeah, then it's not it's not going to happen. Yeah, so, so you do preload it, but yeah, preload it, but trust that your wife's going to do it. What are you doing at the moment? Actually, before we go there, like, is there anything that you want to share? that's been difficult in terms of a struggle, a personal struggle? Have you had stress, not being able to sleep? I mean, I suffer with anxiety, so I have to meditate and do these other things. Has there been anything on a personal level that's made it difficult that you've had to overcome to um, achieve success in business? Personally, um, at the moment, I think um, I do find it difficult to sleep at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but um, I'm, I'm actually, from a medical point of view, um, I've just had some recent some kind of tests done, some scans done. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's to do with like probably a trapped nerve or something like that, but it okay. might get very painful. In, yeah. In, could be sciatica, back of my leg, uh, lower back. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's been kind of a, a current issue. Um, from, a, from a business perspective, the biggest struggle I think we've, but a face in business mm. uh, or um, it's probably, you know, no kind of uh, shock, but the, the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah, that was um, an absolute kind of, you know. And you're an events business, really. Yeah. There's no events. 
for a good long period of time, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, look, a lot of sectors were, were affected, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to kind of make it out like hospitality was the only sector, but, you know, the events and hospitality sector was hit really big, yeah. big time. Um, and we went into 2020 um, with a, a really good order book, you know, you know, depart, you know, we had probably record deposits are in business on the books was really, really high. Mm. Um, we invested in recruiting staff, reading the premises, machinery. So we were really geared up. Um, Based on your financial forecast, which, you know, no one knew that this was going to happen, right? No, no. So, so obviously, you know, we're fortunate that we know pretty early on what the year is going to look like because, yeah. you know, the events are pre-booked in and the contracts yeah. are signed. Um, and obviously, if we don't invest in the business, we wouldn't be able to then service that work. So yeah. you have to make sure that you recruit well, you've got your equipment lined up, your premises, so you're basically fit, fit for purpose for that year. Yeah. And then just as when the traditional kind of wedding season starts, which is around about March, April time, it's exactly when the uh, pandemic hit us. And then we, almost overnight, we started going into reverse because rightly so, a lot of the customers started ringing up and they wanted their, their deposits back. Yeah. Um, uh, luckily, you know, we, we, we hold customer deposits, you know, separately mm. in a separate account. Yeah. Um, you know, always been taught to say, look, you know, until we do the job. Yeah. Only recognize income and cash as your own once you've earned it. Yeah. 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 Um, but obviously there was, in, there was overheads, uh, yeah. during the kind of uh, off peak season. Um, and there was obviously, you know, um, equipment that was being purchased and yep. hiring that had been made. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a real tough time. It was a real tough time to try mm. and manage that. I think, um, you know, the support from the government was, was very slow. Yeah. Uh, the support from banks was, was even slower. Yeah. Um, customers were panicking, right. You know, understandably, nobody knew what was going on. And um, what did you do to innovate? Because actually one of your newer revenue streams came off the back of this situation, right? Yeah. So what we did was um, we went back to basics. We quickly recognized that obviously, yes, we're a catering company, but ultimately we're a, we're a manufacturer. Yeah. You know, we, we manufacture food. Yeah. Um, uh, so we started looking at, you know, where else we could, you know, uh, what we could do in terms of manufacturing food and who we could supply to. Mm. Uh, so we started tendering for, for contracts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when everything came back online again, um, you know, we, we managed to land uh, the Commonwealth Games contract, the Commonwealth wow. Games Birmingham contract. Wow. Um, so you put things, so rather than just sitting and saying, why me? Yeah. This is difficult. What the F am I going to do? I'm just going to give up, make excuses, do nothing. You basically, well, you did two things actually, because you've done this, which presumably is putting in place the relationships, the framework, the tendering process, the back end. You, you'll have to, adhere to all these different standards and tick all these different boxes to be able to win a contract like that. Yeah. So you started working on that during that time so that when things do open up, you can go and you can win those things, right? Yep. Um, and let's talk a bit more about the contracts that you've got, but you also started, because I know, because I ordered it at that time, <laughs> delivering to consumer as well. Yeah. Delivering to normal people who are having maybe slightly larger family gatherings and things of that nature under a different brand. Yeah, so we started doing, um, um, obviously, we've always been a B2C business. Yeah. Um, but more kind of on a large manufacturing basis. So when you yeah. do an event for 500, 600 people, yeah. 
the kitchens and the processes are kind of um, geared up for that. Yeah. Um, the pandemic made us think uh, of other things. What we're doing B two C work mm. um, in smaller kind of pack sizes, hamper sizes. Yeah. Um, but um, it became apparent that you need quite a lot of you know economies of scale that you need quite a lot of those orders yeah to warrant the, the commercial premises to be open yeah for the, the tandoori ovens to be on mm. the staff the kitchens to be staffed well and yeah um and yeah i think it was great because obviously we needed to test that we could do smaller pack sizes and hampers and we still do that yeah um but it you know it had its own costs you know yeah Packaging, you know, delivery costs. So, isn't it, was it, would you say it's an, it was an experiment that you're not really trying to grow right now because of the margins and the setup of your facility? You may come back to it in the future, or is it something that you're still offering? You've worked those things out, and you're happy to grow that side of the business. We have got a plan to grow that side of the business. Yeah, um, I think it, it's and this is simply Mahirs, right? Yeah, simply Mahirs. So, uh, you know, very quickly, it's. Uh, a concept where we make the same food that we provide for weddings and events. Uh, we 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 cook it, we we chill it, mm. blast blast chill it, um, seal it, and, and obviously and it's so easy. Like if you're, I don't know what your radius is for delivery, but if you're anywhere in the Midlands and you want the best ever Indian food and you're having an event, Google Simply Mahirs and try it. We always get it. You stick it in the oven. You follow the instructions which are bespoke and given to you for what you've basically ordered. You plate it all up, and then my wife usually tries to lie that she cooked it for the first 10 minutes, <laughs> and no one believes her because it's so good. And then for us, the benefit is obviously the quality of the cooking, but it's the variety. You could never cook like 15, 20 different things yeah. that you put out for people. You create your own events, basically. That, I mean, that's the whole idea. Um, you know, you could, um, it is supposed to be like home style cooked food without all the. Yeah. Like we want to do mastermind dinners. You can't see the rest of this, but I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight chairs. Yeah. So my idea was to have eight CEOs. Yeah. And do a once a quarter mastermind dinner. Yeah. And then have Mears cater that. That's like an example of how you would use it, right? Yeah. And you can yeah. even have someone then warming and serving as well, depending on what. And, and that's what we've done now. I think um, you know we've we've got it structured where so you can order the food. But modularly, you can add, if you need service staff, if you need yeah. a maitre d', if you need uh, the crockery and cutlery, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of build your own kind of experience. Yeah. Whereas uh, before, we were kind of geared up just to do kind of large-scale events at kind of, you know, remote venues. or uh, It gives you a bit more flexibility. And also, if something happened in the future where the events got shut down, you know you can turn that on and, and still generate income. Yeah, I think that was the whole point is to say, well, actually, you know, we've got this big facility, kitchens, um, the experienced staff, the recipes. What, what else can we do with it as opposed to just doing private, celebratory? Yeah. So that would be events. a good bit of advice for any business owner is don't just have one income stream. Try and do risk management, which just means think about what could happen. You know, do a worst case scenario and think about generating an additional revenue stream once you've been in business for a while, obviously. Yeah. That de-risks your business or take capital out of your business and invest it in other income generating assets. Yeah. So that you know, okay, well, if something did happen to my business, my rent is paid, my mortgage is paid, my kids still go to school, all these other things. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, th I think um, stress your, 
you know, stress the business out to see kind of what would happen in kind of what if scenarios. Yeah. Um, and I think the pandemic did definitely for a lot of people made us think about kind of, you know, if it did kind of close one day, how would we then, you know, service our life? Transition to still make income. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what are the contracts have come off the back of you going for, for things like the Commonwealth Games? Um, we we actually got uh, awarded the uh, you know the best supply partner for the for the games, wow. um, and some of the other people who are supplying um, heard about the success of not just the food itself, but the way it was packaged, delivered, mm. regened, service levels that we provided. Um, and we've now kind of uh, partnered up with a number of other other catering companies. Okay. Um, also, uh, universities. Yeah. We're talking to football clubs, um, other hotels, where we're actually supplying them directly with food. Yeah. Which they can then obviously add to their menus. Okay. Or they can obviously do the events themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's a fully kind of turnkey solution where we've got, you know, they can either do it kind of white label or they can do it co-branded yeah we could be a co a manufacturer for them. so those are partnerships in effect which is another great example of how you can grow a business you don't have to sell directly to your no. customer you can find who else is selling to your customer already has a relationship yeah but you have something complementary like maybe i'm selling accounting and i can provide accounting to someone who has a tax business that just does tax planning it's really good partnerships are so powerful i think in, in everything because yeah. they've already developed relationships over 10 20 30 or more years that you can tap into? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think partnerships are, uh, especially in the competitive climate that we're in now, I think uh, partnering up and um, kind of um, co-promoting products. I think mm. you see it everywhere, don't you? Any petrol station you go to, it's either, a, it's a petrol station with ESO, but then the shop is Marks Spencer's or it's yeah. Costa yeah. or, it's, or it's an Asda or something. I think, you know, um, or you've got a subway in there or something like that. So. I think, you know, it's happening in retail. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think partnerships and, and just kind of sweating assets and leveraging off, you know, the infrastructure that's already there. Yeah. Finding another way of working together uh, is beneficial for both parties. Mm. So what are your goals for the next few years for Mahirs? Because you've taken it from quality sweet center. Yeah. Which is just a small retail shop to one of the UK's leading catering companies. You've got three revenue streams, right? You've got delivery to home for small events. You've got big, large-scale events, which is always your bread and butter. You've got corporate contracts. You've got four, actually. Now you've got providing food manufactured to another catering company that they can provide through their service. Do you have any other revenue streams? And what are your goals moving forward? So I think um, you've covered most of the revenue streams there. We've, we, we're still doing the, the outside catering events. Yeah. Um, there is obviously um, the online retailing. I think that's going to be massive in terms of, um, you know, consumers. The whole Simply Mahir is trying to put it online and yeah. making it very easy to deliver that way. Um, we've got the wholesale and food service um, sector. Yeah. Um, and that's working with, um, you know, uh, a venues, sporting stadia, um other 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 catering companies um we're looking at obviously um training and setting up our own academy okay yeah um naturally there will be another revenue stream created with that because there is funding options for that um but more importantly 
we're finding it very difficult at the moment. I think a lot of business in hospitality are mm. uh, in getting uh, staff, getting the okay. right staff. Yeah. Um, with us, obviously, you know, coming out of Europe, so to speak, yeah. Brexit. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have access to that labor pool. Um, yeah. And with the whole kind of visa and points-based system, trying to get people from outside, well, anywhere in the world now, uh, with all the immigration policies is very difficult. So mm. I think I think the government made no secret of it. I think it is like, you know, you have to kind of have training programs or train your own. Yeah. Um, so that'll be win-win because you can offer it out for other people to come in and learn your methodology and how you've won these awards in terms of delivery, but also you can train your own people. 100%. And obviously we've already spoken to some of the venues and some of our partners and they all express, express an interest to say, if Mahir's opens up an academy, yeah. train staff, uh, you know, no doubt you'll have kind of, um, you know, more staff than you would probably be able to take on yourself. So they'd yeah. be interested in obviously, um, you know, either sending their guys to be upskilled or taking some of that stuff on. Yeah. So, you know, we've spoken to other restaurants, other catering companies, um, you know, and, you know, it's not just in cookery, it's not just in colony because mm. there will be corporations, there'll be warehouse, there'll be uh, sales, administration, marketing. So yeah. you, you have the whole breadth of it. So, And how do you make sure that you're not spreading yourself too thin? You know, you... A lot of business coaches, advisors, entrepreneurs, they say, well, just focus on one thing, one revenue stream, hammer that down until you're doing 10 million in sales or whatever it might be. How do you make sure that you're not concentrating on five things that becomes eight things that becomes 15 things and, and you're not spending enough time on each one to move it forward? Or can you do that, but you're putting someone in charge of that business unit? It, it, exactly that. It's bringing on partners on board. Okay. So... Uh, when we're setting up the the training academy, for instance, yeah, we 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 it's part here's we part of um, uh, a, a consortium, okay, and bringing those people on board. Some of these guys are kind of university, um, uh, you know, uh, sorry, working in universities or yeah. they've, uh, you know, being heads of colleges, for instance. So yeah. it's, you know, having the right people on board in each aspect. So. Um, you know, it's the same in the food service and the wholesale. It's people yeah. who have been in that industry, possibly giving them a share in, 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 in the, well, giving them a reward. And as well. a good team in place that so it will run without you, but you can come in and check the relevant metrics and make sure it's moving in the right direction. Definitely. Have the board meetings and all of these things. What's, um, when you sit down, just, I'm going to go through some questions because I still really want to ask the rest of oh, these. Go for it, go for it. We'll be here for three hours if we do a full answer on all of them. So we'll try and do them short and sharp. Yeah. What's your process right now for planning out your goals for the year? How do you establish what's important? Do you have a formalized process? Do you write anything down? What does that look like? So, yeah, I'm continually writing things down on notes on my phone. Um, they are tends to be kind of to do lists. Um, some of them are kind of um, obviously long term uh, goals, um, things that. We're looking at uh, achieving and when we need to achieve and buy. Yeah. I think some of them are just short term, kind of what we need to, to focus on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But they're just lists on your phone right now. It's not in a structured business planning system or anything like that. Unfortunately, no, not at the moment, no. Yeah. I don't think there's like, it's better one way or the other. It's whatever works. It's obviously working for you. So it shows people who are listening, you don't necessarily need to put it into a business plan. You can have a long term goals, medium term goals, short term goals, note on your phone. 
or a physical notepad, right? I know lots of people that do that. Um, as a CEO, you know, I just recently read this book called Rocket Fuel. I spoke about this last week on a podcast as well, but it's been so instrumental to me understanding that I needed to go back to being what they call a visionary, which is coming up for me. It's visionary is basically you understand what your zone of genius is and you stay there. So for me, it's creating content, meeting people, coming up with new ideas, setting the business plan and vision, but I don't like completing the project. I don't like doing okay. the client work. I don't, there's loads of things I don't like, <laughs> but understanding what you don't like and then making sure that you've got what's called an integrator, which is like your COO, the person that runs the business on the day-to-day, -day, make sure all the wheels are turning, make sure that, yeah. you know, if you've got an event coming in, it's 500 people, the staff are there. This is ready, this is ready. Have you been through that process in your own business? Have you got an integrator? Have you got a day-to-day -day person that, that that you rely on that just just does everything for you? Yeah, I think. Um, and if not, question. like, do you think you'll need that in the future? But what is what does your team look like right now? Interestingly, I think um, I've got somebody. Well, I've got a good team in place now. Uh, we restructured kind of the back end of last year. Yeah, and um, made a conscious decision to actually have a team, have people to, to fulfill them roles. So if you had asked me that probably what about kind of a year ago, uh, the answer would be no. Um, but I'm, yeah, I can confidently say at this moment in time, we've got people who are doing the kind of day to day. Yeah. Um, I think we, well, personally, I'm seeing the benefit of that and the company's mm. seeing the benefit of that yeah. because it, you know, it wouldn't allow me, well, it allows me now to concentrate on other aspects of the business of, the other streams that we've been talking about, yeah, you know, whether it's the food service, the wholesale, yeah, you know, the you know, the hamper packs, etc. So, um, so you can't scale unless you bring those people on, you let them know what they're doing, you give them regular reviews and yeah. set their own goals and give them ownership and accountability of certain areas of the business. 100% agree with you, right? I set think uh, key, key performance indicators for them so they know we only did this recently, so the actual the team they know what their goals are numerical goals you know what are they being tested on like our accountants they're tested on net promoter score yeah as in what are our clients giving us as a ranking out of 10 would they recommend us to other people client retention yeah and also the value of the fees that they're managing have they grown that have they identified opportunities to deliver additional work for existing clients for example okay and so they clearly know you know these are three of however many of my kpis and then we say to them well in order to build a KPI, you need a, a KRA, a key result activity. Okay. And that means, so for example, if you wanted to increase your net promoter score because it was 8.5 and our target is yeah. nine, how are you going to make your clients happier? Yeah. Well, touch base with them regularly. Yeah. Get the net promoter score feedback and then make changes as a result of it. Like identify different things you can do each week to improve what you're delivering to clients. So then that's so important for teams to know what their goals are, but how can they continually improve? Do you do any of that with your senior team? I think that's that's kind of the next part of the, of the evolution okay. um, is to have those kind of uh, systems in place, those yeah. check-ins. Um, I think, yeah, day-to-day, uh, -day, sorry, regular reviews. Yeah, that's happening. Yeah. Uh, but I think um, in terms of actually focusing on those particular key KPIs. Like KPIs and KRAs. Yeah. And we just have a Google sheet. It's so simple. And you, you make sure it's only three to five per person. Yeah. They agree with them. Yeah. And you sit down together to work out, well, to move that KPI, what K KRA do you need? Okay.
game changer. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really I'd be interested good. to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Um, and I'd recommend that book as well. It's really cool. You know, with events businesses, they are incredibly complex from a financial perspective. Yeah. You're a bit different because most Grow Factor clients, we don't let them do their own bookkeeping. <laughs> We're like, we have to do it. But we know with an events business, you need to have an internal accountant, which you have, yeah. dealing with a day-to-day because there's so many moving transactions on a day-to-day, yeah. week-to-week basis. And we have to build a good relationship with them so we can support them. Where do I book this? I'm not sure how to do this journal. Have I done this right? And then we're checking their work as well. So you know that QuickBooks is up to date, right? Yeah. But how important is it in your business, especially with the fact you've got upfront costs, you've got bookings, you've got team in place, you've got fixed reviews to have accurate, up-to-date financials and understand your cash flow? Like, How important is that for you? Really, really important. Obviously, massive focus on uh, the numbers, um, obviously, forecasting, because ultimately, um, if we're just looking at booking deposits in, we're mm. actually other people's money yeah. coming into the business. Yeah. We want to make sure it's, you know, putting the right, you know, um, uh, areas, making sure that obviously we can, we can track it yeah. and draw down on it when at the time of their event, because some people are booking lastminute.com other people yeah. are booking for 2025 you know yeah. 2023 so um just and do you create a budget for each individual major project so you know okay customer deposits 50k total cost is 100k i mean these prob- numbers are probably wrong of the 100k <laughs> our budget is you know 67k for costs which is broken down this way staff venue yeah so we've started to we've started to use certain features of, of of the software so sort of tagging um yeah you know transactions and um, I think when it comes to cost of sales, it's, it can be pretty straightforward, but sometimes you, you could have six or seven events in the same week. Yeah. The orders that you put through, they, they're all clumped together. So it's mm. kind of working out. But originally, I mean, when you book an order and you bring a customer and you send them a quote or a proposal, yeah. do you have an idea of, okay, well, I'm charging the customer this because it's going to cost me this. And here's how those costs are broken down between raw materials, people, and all of those things. Yeah, I mean the CRM system that we use um, actually has has got features where obviously we know what those services are, are costing yeah. us and what we're selling them for. Yeah. Um, and behind the scenes, it'll give us the metrics to okay. understand on an event by event, on an order by order, what, your what margins, kind of margins are. are yeah. yeah, I think because I think that's so important. You get a lot of, especially high end restaurants. Yeah. And with caterers that they just have no idea what their margins are. And also they have no idea what the goal margin is and also what maybe other restaurants are achieving or other catering companies. Yeah, I can, I can clearly t- tell you that at the beginning. You don't have to say what the margins are. <laughs> <laughs> um, they could always be better, shall we say. But, um, well, and in a high-end business that is always pitching itself at a high value, your margins will always be lower because you're spending so much on the right quality of materials. Well, especially at the moment uh, with, 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 with inflation and, and, and the credit crunch, I mean, food prices have actually gone out the window. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the issues because we, we're locking down events, for instance, uh, you know, late this year or, or next year in 2025. And the know, food price might go up. Yeah. How do you yes. hedge again? You can't hedge on a food price or give a client a variable. Yeah, it's, quote, it's not just food prices. I mean, obviously, labor costs, you know, with, with um, you know, wages going up and, you know, and so... Could- could I you send a proposal to a client and say, well, it's 50K based on the labor cost and food unit cost of this. If the percentage of that cost goes up, your 
You could, you couldn't do that, right? You, you could try to do it, but obviously it's going to come out in the wash in the negotiations. People want to fix it. If they're fixing, they're fixing. So they know what they're paying because they're paying the deposits now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you have to kind of try and think about financially modeling what might happen based on what's happened in the past and factor that into your price now, right? Yeah, 100%. I think you just have to look at, you know, if you were going to give any incentive or a discount, you probably, you know, probably wouldn't do that on the basis of the fact that most most likely yeah um what you secure the deal at today won't be you know you know the, the cost won't be the same as when it comes to delivering it yeah i think so yeah that makes sense yeah so and so um i mean we've been working together for a while now like we said you do have an internal accountant but how's the experience been with grow factor like what value do we add to your business and would you recommend us to other businesses in your industry or in similar industries i think um one of the reasons why what's helped help me kind of aided my growth in knowing my numbers and stuff is um is by working with grow factor mm -hmm. um the fact that we've got a system which um allows you guys to to review and look into remotely mm -hmm. um you, you know we've got our own kind of um uh account manager yeah who's very responsive who you know, you can book a slot in and ask questions to, um, you know, just on the other end of the line. Mm. But going back to the system itself, I think um, having a play with, with the numbers, looking at what if scenarios, uh, yeah. you know, um, I think I know, I know more about numbers. I think traditionally we weren't encouraged to look at numbers. Yeah. It was almost like, don't worry, you know, give us all that information and, the books would kind of be done. Yeah, the Whereas accountants it, would just operate as a separate thing and wouldn't really involve you in the, in the process. No, but the thing is, the fact that you guys involve us in the process, we understand. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is then the next time we have a particular invoice to put on, we, we know exactly where we need to put it and how yeah. we need to put it in. Yeah. You know. Um, and that gives you accurate numbers, right, that are up to date all the time. What does accurate numbers that are up to date all the time allow you to do? Like, why do you need that? They make decisions, right? So, okay. yeah. so yeah, obviously... Yeah. We know, so if, if, if everything's up to date, uh, we know what our current margins are. Yeah. Um, if How we much wanna, cash you've got to invest. Yeah, exactly. If, you wanna, if we want to hire, if we yeah. want to uh, purchase a piece of equipment, is it best to actually, you know, use the money that we've got in the bank or yeah. should we, you know, should we take on asset financing? You know, it, it allows you to kind of make decisions, you know, very quickly. And to be fair, a lot of the opportunities that come come our way, maybe generally in business, probably needs fast action. Yeah. Um, so if your things are up, if your numbers are up to date. You can make a decision, but then also, I guess because you get unlimited support, you don't have to make it on your own. You can call up your account manager. Yeah. And have that conversation with them as someone outside of the business that understands your business, but isn't biased because yeah. they're a third party. I mean, yeah, I think recently we made some uh, asset purchases and took advantage of the super deduction tax. Yeah. yeah. So I was speaking to, to Anish quite a, you know, a, a, lot, a lot about that and yeah. uh, uh, he helped with that. And then obviously I think, um, you know, recently we, we purchased a car through, well, to be fair, we made four purchases of vehicles. Mm, uh, and that's like tax planning, having conversations around tax, which we've done. And then obviously you and Anish have done. You've bought the same, uh, uh, yeah, we, you turned up in the same car as me. I'm really annoyed <laughs> about it because- is a Tesla Model Y, which we'll do on another podcast on why it's so tax efficient. But you've got an amazing matte finish PPF look, which parked next to mine looks, it does look better. It looks really great. But yeah, tax planning conversations what, what, have yeah. been important as well. 
And we spoke in the kitchen with Kira, my wife, about the houses that we live in and little things like that, just helping with mortgage applications and making sure your, your finances are structured in the right way to get your dream house. You know, yeah. things like that for me and me personally helping with that, it was so rewarding because that's probably one of the biggest things in someone's life, being able to actually get a yes on a house that they'd love to move into. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, going back to kind of how things were, you know, and how they are now, I think it's a bit of cliche, but, you know, a happy home is, uh, is essential yeah. uh, as a bedrock for, I think, you know, working and, and succeeding in business. Yeah. Because if you've got everything structured at home in terms of, you know, um, well, I'm not very materialistic, I'll be completely honest with you, but mm. if family's set, they're happy, yeah. kids are happy. Yeah, they're safe, they've got it, food, they're warm. Yeah, exactly. And I think it just, not only does it give you a warm feeling, but obviously it gives purpose and meaningful as to why we're doing what we're doing yeah. each day. Yeah. While we're getting up and, you know, I'm very proud. I'll go to an event. If I need to clear a table, clear plates up, yeah. I, I will do it because yeah. I know why I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's pride there, but not the wrong kind of pride. Yeah, there's no egotistic, not saying, look, you know, yeah. this, is not, this is not, you know, I shouldn't be doing this at this kind of, you know, yeah. you know I'll happily, you know, we're in the service and hospitality business and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on. Um, yeah, you should serving. genuinely want to serve yeah, yeah, exactly. that person. Okay. Um, just to kind of bring things together and we can talk about anything that, that I maybe missed that you wanted to speak about. What are your three keys to success? And it might be just reinforcing what we've already spoken about that you could share with others that are looking to be successful and fulfill their potential. I mean, we spoke yeah. about definitely that you've brought on the right people yeah. to sit in the right seats. We spoke about generating additional revenue streams and thinking outside the box and being really determined and not giving up, not ever giving up. Um, and we spoke about developing your own skills outside of yeah. a university degree or what you go into business with, continually trying to develop your knowledge. Um, are those the three keys that you'd like to mention or do you <laughs> have any more? No, th those are. I think when it comes to recruitment, um, I'm a firm believer, and it is a bit of a, a Tony Robbins thing as well, but I've actually felt it, breathed it, lived it. Um, you know, I've always recruited with more emphasis on um, on will, yeah. you know, over skill. Yeah. Um, you know, we've in, in life and in business, we've experienced kind of, you know, recruiting people with skill. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, in the business, they've been a bit lazy. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, we've, we've had people who, uh, I wouldn't say they're not unskilled. They'd just say, let's say they're raw. Yeah. Um, they'll come into the business with a lot of will. And they're willing to learn and work hard, right? Yeah, yeah. And, Which is and, a massive and, difference. Yeah. I'll tell you all day long that, you know, will trumps. For me, will trump skill. Will trump all, skill. All, all, I've not heard that before. I'll, I'll give that to you. I'll, I'll put that's, quite, it's, it's a Robin thing. Is it? I'm pretty sure it is. But, okay. Um, so yeah, I think recruit uh, more emphasis on will over skill. That's that's one of my uh, yeah. kind of three keys to success. Um, investing, creating exceptional customer experience. Okay. Again, it might be a bit kind of cliche. Or no, no, it's not. Um, but we've always, you know, you know, the clues in the name are his experience. Mm. You know. When clients contact us, that customer journey, right from yeah. sending people quotes all the way up to fulfilling their big day, their events, um, it's really crucial that I think we live in a world where everything is available very quickly. Yeah. On on, and I think it's going to get with with chat 
chat GP, what it's called. It's chat GPT. I GPT. just signed up for that. Actually, it's just scary. It is. It is. I don't think it's going to shape our future, but yeah, coming onto it, like, I think people are just used to having everything very quickly. Mm. Um, you know, and I think um, we've got to be kind of responsive to that. You yeah. know, everything from you know ordering a Big Mac on your phone, not that you you know you, it's not like you do, but <laughs> <laughs> not at the moment. Not at the moment. Yeah. No. After my um, diet is over, maybe. Yeah. So you can get things like on Deliveroo. Just get things literally just very very quickly. Um, yeah. You know, you want answers yesterday, so. I think um, we've been really good, exceptional customer experience when, you know, is, is really, really key. Yeah. You know? um, and uh, again, um, might be a bit cliche, but knowing your numbers, you know, just yeah. making sure that you've got a grip on your I'm glad you got that one in there. <laughs> know so, your numbers. That's the number one reason that Tony Robbins says businesses fail. The yeah. owner does not understand their numbers, doesn't know what dashboards, kind of like driving, my mentor talks about driving a car, uh, he says uh, to his students, he lectures at university, look, I've got a, I think he had an Audi R8 or something at the time, an Audi R8 in the car park. Who wants it? Everyone puts their hand up. He said, but there's one caveat. I'm going to rip the dashboard out <laughs> before I chuck you the keys. Do you still want it? And they're just looking at him so confused. Could you get home? He says to them, no, we couldn't get home. Why? Because there's no dashboard. Okay, well, why are people running businesses yeah. with zero metrics, no performance dashboard, nothing? Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it doesn't um, make any sense. At some point, you'll crash or you'll run out of fuel, right? Yeah, and I think um, that's a really good uh, uh, analogy and um, something that I've used uh, when I'm speaking to, you know, um, my partners and significant others in the business. Um, you know, I, I think we're all guilty of coming into, well, some of us were guilty of coming into the business without having a dashboard. Yeah. Um, and it was something that, you know, I wanted to, to change in our business to say mm. that we've got all the metrics. Yeah. Um, because in order for us to, to run a successful business or run any business is to know where you're heading, what speed you're heading at, you know, like you said, are we going to run out of fuel? Yeah. Um, but you can, yeah, you can make decisions with metrics and a dashboard. Yeah. hundred percent. Data is everything. I've got yeah. a Whoopon, yeah, which tracks, um, <clears throat> now heart rate variability, the gap between the heart rates, heart rate, sleep, stages of sleep, stress. And, and it tells me today, okay, your metrics of going in this direction because I've been training and I'm in a calorie deficit right now. And then I can make a key decision. Okay, tomorrow I need to back off a little bit and maybe I need to speak to my coach about putting a little bit more food in because the percentage recovery has gone from 90 to 80 to 70. Today I'm on 34. Yeah, it's, 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 a, mir it's a miracle that I'm uh, sitting up podcasting. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, if I didn't have that data, yeah. One, I wouldn't have like a frame. I might think, oh, I'm just being lazy. Yeah. I don't feel that great, but I'm just being lazy. It gives you, and sometimes you might feel a bit tired, but your whoop says you're on 95%. So you know you are just being a bit late. So it gives you that reality check Yeah, yeah. that think, you need. I think, like I said, that, that, that kind of information is key. You can make a conscious decision of what direction you want to take. To adjust. Basically. Yeah. And data, like, for example, I mean, this is not a podcast about whoop, but I track my sleep and then... It has a journal and you can do this the same in business. You track whether your cash is going up, for example. Yeah. It's the same with your sleep performance and you change certain things. Yeah. So like I started taking CBD or, okay, that improved. Oh, wow. I started- The uh, proper way, yeah? What's that? You, you took it the proper way. Yeah. The proper way, yeah, with the drops, <laughs> with the drops, the drops yeah. THC free. So anyway, yeah, if you track the right metrics in your business, you have the right dashboard, you can make strategic changes yeah. and then re-measure at certain increments and all you're doing is optimizing and growing, optimizing and growing, optimizing and growing.
Right. Okay. Lastly, I talk about a business um, doing three things. Well, one is it should give you freedom. We've spoken yep. about your routines and the fact that you've got more freedom now. Having an impact, we've definitely spoken about that because I think Mahir is just literally, I've been to events where I've sat down and I didn't know Mahir's was catering it <laughs> and it comes up and I'm like, I'm so happy now. I'm sat down because I don't really drink now. Yeah. And if the food's good, I'm going to get so much pleasure from that. So that to me is the impact that you're having. And on a large scale, if you're talking about uh, the games, you know, you're impacting so many people. So creates freedom, lets you have a lasting impact, which will do, and then you make money, right? And it's very financial. His has been very financially successful and it's grown year on year. But in order to do that, a business has to attract clients. I'm always thinking in triangles, convert yeah. clients and then deliver to clients. We've spoken a lot about delivery and how you do a good job. How do you attract new clients? Just really briefly for people, just as a tip, uh, as a good way, if they've got a business, whether it's a restaurant or a catering company or in this industry, how do you attract new clients? Is it all referrals and word of mouth? And do you encourage that? Is there some um, focus on social media? So it's always really been organic for us. Um, it's always been uh, um, referrals. Yeah. yeah. People going to events, experiencing the food for themselves. Um, it's all that kind of, so who did the food here today? And um, recently I've been surprised where um, a client came in after, for a food tasting. Yeah. And um, she had the proposal and her and her family came in. And she disclosed to us after, again, she signed everything up, absolutely. Um, happy with everything mm. signed the contract and, and and booked us basically she then went into a handbag yeah and pulled out a menu card from an event yeah and this was an event that she went to no word of a lie i think 15 years ago wow and uh she said that so she goes, put it on her dream list she put, put it on a dream away. list so this was the the bride's mother and she yeah. goes i always wanted to book you guys ever since this event yeah where um I tried your food for the first time. That's incredible. Um, and That's that was so really, cool. really <clears throat> heartwarming. That's so uh, cool. So, um, yeah, organic, word of mouth. Um, I think there's only so many kind of events and that we can, we can do yeah. each, each year on, on, on a weekend, each day. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, um, the, the, the organic and referral business um, marketing way is, is working for us. Yeah, and I think that's great. Lots of times people, what, there's a, a, a men, another mentor of mine who grew his accounting firm from $3 million to $20 million in three years, just said to me, listen, I'm not going to do an Australian accent, but he's Australian. <laughs> you just need to focus on your customers. Yeah. You don't even need to ask them for referrals. If you're not getting referrals from your clients, yeah. you're not doing a good job. Couldn't right, you need to understand if they're not recommending you to people on a regular basis, there's something wrong with your delivery. So if you then think, well, I'm not getting any new clients, let me set up an ad funnel, let me go crazy on Instagram, let me do this, let me do that, you're miss you're gonna start then losing clients. Yeah. You get no repeat business. It's I know it sounds super simple, but to me it was a bit of an eye-opener at that time. Just really focus on your existing clients 80% of the time and 20% of the time. Look at setting up those new client awareness kind of campaigns. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think if you, if you, if you smash the current client that you've got at the moment out of the park in terms of delivery yeah. and their experience, I think the rest kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I love that. Yeah. 
I wouldn't even say anything else on that. I love that. <laughs> the rest takes care of itself. In terms of conversion, once you get the proposals through and come in, yeah. do you still do all of that yourself? Or do you have a team that will speak to a potential client and walk them through the options and deliver the proposal? No, we've got a team. So yeah. um, obviously, you know, people contact us. You know, we, we've got a structured process in where we will um, have a consultation with them. You have a CRM system where you yeah, and then we'll, data. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put proposals together, yeah. um, get something over to them in an in, you know, in initial kind of proposal, uh, a bespoke tailored proposal. Um, then also there's a call to action on there, whether they want to come in to do a tasting, yeah. whether they want to set up a, a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting or a yeah. call to discuss their event. So we allow them to, to obviously tailor it. Yeah. Um, and then we'll check in and follow up with that. Um, okay. And when we, they do come in for their kind of tasting experiences, yeah. um, you know, th- there'll be times when I'm around uh, and I'll table hop from, you know, table to table. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll break bread with them. Yeah. You know, um, we've got this kind of experience sensory room where, you know, we've got not only the food being served, but the table settings as such. It's like a pop-up restaurant style. We've got a projector on, we've got music on. So, um, and we use that opportunity to, to obviously showcase what we're about, what we do, um, but also just to listen to them and, and, and get their vision for their event mm. and bespoke it to exactly what they want. And it's always about being customer centric and giving them what they want, you know, in hospitality at the end of the day. And so. I guess that's the big thing in any business. One of the things you should be doing is also auditioning and identifying if you want that client and yeah. can you deliver what they want? Do they have realistic expectations versus what you can do and not taking on every single client that comes through the door. If they've got, ex- it may not be relevant for your example, but for us, it definitely is. If they've either got unrealistic expe- expectations or genuinely what they're asking for, you can't deliver. Yeah, I think every business to a certain extent, um, we need to qualify, if you want to use the word qualify, every client because yeah. a manager expectations. In the nicest possible way. Yeah, in the nicest possible way. Because obviously, more to manage their expectations. Mm. Um, and we do that. You know, we try to do that pretty early on. Yeah. And that normally that happens when they make that first phone call, have a discussion. And when you send a proposal over, um, you know, you've got, a, you know, a list of all the, you know, services that will be required from us. And then you've got the pricing on there. Yeah. And you talk through their event and you quickly establish whether, you know, from a budget point of view or from a services point of view, we, we fit. Yeah. You know, it, it could be that we don't offer the cuisine that they're looking for. Or yeah. It could so be, there's a quick, and that's really important yeah. as well leads identified then there's a quick qualification process before you then move them on to the next stage which is investing your time yeah in bringing them in and building a relationship you have to qualify whether they've got the funds they're happy with the level of investment potential yeah and what their expectations are you can meet really really important because obviously um a customer some customers might not know that process and i think mm. most people would say can we come in and try the food? And they just uh, want to come straight in. Yeah. yeah and, but obviously we tell them early on that, look, uh, more than happy to do the food. You can come in and try it, you yeah. know, as many times as you want. But what we need to do is just establish kind of, you know, the event itself, you know, the, the timings of it so we can cost it all correctly and, yeah. and see if we're going to be, you know, uh, a fit for yourselves. So, yeah, which yeah. is right on both sides. Um, is there anything that we didn't speak about that you wanted to talk about? <laughs> I think we covered most. Um, we talked about a lot. Yeah. And there's definitely some areas that we could do a whole podcast on. I definitely want to get you back in the future to dig into certain areas. You know, if people want that, 
operationally some of the real specifics about how you run your business and what's different about that because i think there's so much knowledge that you've got sure um that could be passed on no no i'm more than happy to to come back in and uh to to, to delve in a bit deeper on on, on any area that you that you think that we yeah i've loved having you on um, Thank you. where can people find you if they wanted more information or they have events coming up or maybe there are even corporate directors here who are looking for you know events in the future big events Farming in l4 anfield uh, most of the time but <laughs> <laughs> no no um yeah so obviously we're based in west bromwich um uh you know in, you're on instagram right I'm on instagram here's experience instagram linkedin um you know obviously on all, this, all the major search engines um but yeah that's uh that's, that's, that's where we are. That's where we can find us. Awesome. Javier, thank you for coming down. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Founder Stories. As always, tons of practical advice and steps you can take back to your business. But for me, it was so inspirational to hear the story of a business that's gone from a small retail operation to a nationwide company that creates experiences, impacts people, has created freedom for Harvey and his family and make some money along the way. We'll see you in the next episode.